Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here, and welcome to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. Uh, Today we have Press Maxson on the line with us, who's an author and a career copywriter. Uh, Press, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks Leonard. Um, First of all, thanks so much for having me. This is exciting. I love getting to talk to you on the air, man. I love getting to talk to you anytime we catch up. Um, But no, you summed it up. I'm uh, I'm a fiction author, uh, and... I'm also, by day, I'm a copywriter, uh, which means I kind of spend half my time writing, advertising, copy, and uh, copy for digital assets, as well as just kind of putting on my general marketer hat. So I think the things I really love to do the most are when I get to put the creative world and the marketing world together and, and take my own books and try and find an audience for them. Nice. Yeah. It's always fun to do those things. So, uh, would you want to talk more about your uh, fictional career? <laughs> no, yeah, of course. I love it that it's described as a fictional career. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I'm pretty excited. I, I released a book last winter, um, and the the short story on it is I won't kind of pitch necessarily the books to you um, because I, I think we're kind of here to talk. I love your work with the influence tree and everything, and, and we're here to talk about finding audiences and convincing them to do things. <laughs> and so I, I think I'll kind of go that route here, but I basically the story goes in my most recent book, which, I, like I said, was released last winter on Black Friday, um, to be specific, was... Uh, I got to a point last summer where 2020, just like for everybody, had sort of reimagined my life. I wasn't commuting anymore. I had more time because my commute didn't exist, and I wasn't taking meetings in person. Uh, so I realized, well, I'm gonna. I should really use this time to to write something, you know, to to further, you know, myself creatively. Plus, the last book I had written. I'd released in 2017. So here I was coming up on three years later, and I did write another book in that time frame. but my literary agent was looking for publishers, and it was, it was sort of out of my hands for the moment. It wasn't, we didn't have a release timeline. We just wanted to find the right publisher. And so I kind of panicked, and I thought, wow, it's been three years since I released something. It doesn't feel like my next thing is going to come up right off the bat. Uh, but here we are in the, the world of uh, 2020 where on, I, I can see my data from uh, Amazon that more Kindles are in people's hands than ever. And my books were seeing a spike in, uh, in purchases. And I thought, boy, I'm really missing the boat if I don't sort of bring a product to market. Uh, so I wrote sort of what I have told my agent is a book between books. It's short. It's only 25,000 words. Um, and I just thought I'm going to put something out there because the opportunity is right. And 2020 is such a crazy year, was such a crazy year. I wrote about that and I released it within like four months of, of starting writing it. I mean, I just, I did it fast. I revised it. I had couple editors look at it and then I just kind of got it out there and uh, and I did so with enough commercial success to make me happy about it um, but it also now in here we are in May and it's been six months since I released it and since it's about 2020 it doesn't feel super relevant the way it did six months ago uh, especially now that the world is kind of trying to move on a little bit, I think. Um, and uh, But it, it still felt like a win, you know? And so now I'm looking forward to my next release, which is like hopefully this summer or fall. Uh, we finally found some publishers with some interest on my 
of a book that I was waiting to release. And um, uh, so I just had kind of fun promoting the book I released last fall while I'm waiting for an audience for the next one. So that's where I'm at right now. And that's kind of the excitement I've had in the last couple of, I'm going to say the last year. Cool. So uh, tell me more about this book about 2020. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, well, I needed, I need, I wanted something creative and I needed something that I could write quickly. And my first two books, and really my first three books, because there's one that's unreleased, have a similar theme. There's a main character or two. They are given some sort of mystery, whether it's an object to find, a person to find, or a problem to solve. And I thought, well, I love writing that way. I mean, that's my genre, is kind of humor and mystery. But I thought I really wanted to do something different. So... Uh, the book is called Kevin on Earth, kind of a play on words of heaven on Earth, but instead it's Kevin. And it's, it's an alien who comes to Earth on his study abroad program to learn about our culture, to experience everything as a human. It's an alien who comes dressed in a human suit. But the thing is, he's kind of a slacker. He chose Earth for his study abroad program because it's the party planet. He wanted to sit on a beach and sip pina coladas, you know, for an entire year. Um, and that's all fine and good. The only problem is he arrived on January 1st of 2020, and he had no idea that he was up for probably the most difficult year of most of our lives, most of uh, certainly my generation's, you know, life probably. Um, there are, of course, other generations that have seen monumental seismic shifts in culture and uh, kind of socioeconomic relations. But for us, this was a big one. And when he thought he was going to come and relax, he obviously, <laughs> he couldn't. So the book is actually a letter home. Like it's Kevin writing to his home planet, back to his professor in a daily journal. So that's all the book is. And some days he only writes two sentences. Some days he writes two pages, but, um, he's basically chronicling every day of 2020 looking, looking at it with as much of an outsider's eye as I possibly could as an author. I really, I, I mean, you're going to be able to tell where I lie on the political spectrum in the book, but I, I tried to treat everybody as fairly as possible. You know, I tried to just look at the situation as if I had no details as to what climate change was, who Donald Trump was, who Joe Biden was. You know, I, I tried to erase my brain of all that and just look at the headlines, just look at the headlines and try to kind of decide, you know, what, how that sounded to an outsider. Um, so I'm proud of it. Uh, and it certainly did the trick to kind of further my business, um, with my, you know, fiction crowd, uh, since last November. That's pretty awesome. And I can see that being a pretty creative book, especially since last year we went through not just the pandemic, but protests and riots. Exactly. And uh, storming a capital and all this other stuff that uh -huh. happened as well. <laughs> well, here's the funny thing. There's two. There's two funny things about what you just said. The first is that as I was writing it, I thought at the very least this will be something that I'm proud that my kids would be able to read, and even if they're not into the creative slant on the book, they'll still be able to look through there and say, wow, January 2020 started off, it, it, even though it started off not in pandemic world, there were still incredible things happening. Like January, February, Trump was getting impeached. And that doesn't, that's like a once a generation situation max. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, we, we've seen it a couple times since the seventies, but then before that, it really didn't, uh, like happened like more than once a century or something. I don't have the exact numbers, but 
it's rare. And so that happened right when 2020 started. Then, like you mentioned, pandemic happens, uh, like race relations and rioting in the summer, uh, violent wildfires in August, September, early October. Then, of course, an election happened. Uh, and so at the very least, I'd hope someone would like flip through this book and kind of say like, wow, there's one more incredible, like, you know, occurrence after another. And that part isn't fiction, you know, like the alien part is fiction that the fact that it's an alien observing this stuff, but it's the, the circumstances is not fiction and that's crazy, you know? Um, so there's that element. And then the second thing you said I think when I do a second edition of this book, like I'll probably do a second edition in a while, but, um, but the, uh, I released it on black Friday last year. So if you think back black Friday, we didn't know that Biden was going to be the president officially. Even there was no capital insurrection yet on November 26th when this came out or whatever day that was. Like it was, it was leading, it was leaning toward Biden, but it, I don't think the calls had been officially made and he hadn't given an acceptance speech. And, and as we know, Trump certainly hadn't kind of acknowledged that he was going to, um, like accept that, you know? So, uh, so I think in the second edition, I'm not going to add anything to the chapters, but I think I'll definitely like write a new forward and say, just because of my timeline, when I wanted to release it, I wanted to hit the holiday rush. Um, I, I unfortunately had to sacrifice part of the story because the the saga that was 2020 definitely did not end in November. <laughs> you know, I mean, in many ways, I think history will probably consider that the saga of 2020 is still going on and that we still are, many businesses aren't in person still. Uh, certainly, like, behaviors, like human behavior is still changed. I'm not just talking about wearing masks, but I'm talking about how we buy stuff, how we experience restaurants, you know, I mean, like how we go to the movies, all this stuff is, is still not back to what we call normal. And we're not sure if it ever will be. Um, so it's kind of weird to say when we'd end the book on 2020, but, uh, but yeah, I, unfortunately the capital insurrection never made it into the book because the book was already released. Oh, interesting. Have you been to a movie theater in the last year? No, I say I have not. Um, I, uh, I kind of regret, I know some movies, um, you know, some movie theaters rent it out, let you rent them out for, uh, you know, a hundred bucks and you and your friends got the whole theater. And I kind of regret not doing that. Maybe some of them still do because they're willing to show you old classics, you know, that way. And I've always wanted to see Raiders of the Lost Ark in the movies. Um, but I, I have, I did at least at the start of the pandemic sort of devote myself to watching some movies that I'd never seen before, but maybe wanted to just cause you know, we had more time on our hands. I didn't, I didn't have to drive kids to dance, piano, or gymnastics. You know, I didn't have to drive 45 minutes to work in the morning. I didn't have to drive 45 minutes to an hour at night to get home. Um, so my thing was, this is just a personal insight of my life, I went back to the James Bond series, which I've only, I've never been a real Bond fan, but I went back and I started with the very first one and, and have tried to come all the way through. Yeah. So... Um, I have been to a movie theater in the last uh, month, and it's a pretty different experience. They cut out, like, uh, every other row of seats, and then they leave, like, four seats in between you and the next person. So the, the theaters are pretty not, not that crowded lately, which is kind of interesting. I bet that it's a nice experience. <laughs> It kind of is. It's uh, very nonchalant, and uh, it's pretty empty. I don't understand how the theaters are making money doing this. We lost two of our biggest theaters here in Los Angeles, uh, Arclight and the Pacific yeah. Theater. But the AMCs I are heard the Arclight closed, and that is sad. Yeah. I have happy memories of the Arclight. 
one of the best movie theaters out there, and all of them and the Pacific theaters all ended up closing. Like, I wonder if like AMC or another group's going to buy all of them up because I mean, you can't really use those theaters for anything else. I know a lot of places like that have had to get inventive. Um, the uh, so I, I have not been to the movies, uh, so I don't know how movie theaters are doing that. But I went to a major league baseball game about two weeks ago. Um, went to a Chicago Cubs game, and it was kind of what you were describing, where there's you know rows, um, you know there, where there's there's empty. Every other row is empty, and maybe the next person is six seats over from you or something. And uh, so it, it was really fun to be back in an environment like that. It was really fun to park close to the stadium. It was fun that every bar that was open, there was no line because there wasn't nearly as many people allowed in the stadium. Therefore, there was not nearly as many people in the neighborhood uh, in Chicago, going to a Cubs game, you stand on a street corner with like 90 other people to get into the crosswalk, uh, but that wasn't the case. So it was a comfortable experience. Um, plus, I don't, I mean, I don't think this is possible in movie theaters, but in, in major like sporting events, they've, they've taken those empty sections of seats and they've sold advertising space on those, which I think is kind of creative and obviously necessary. Uh, they, you know, will put up logos for sponsors out there. And I, I continually, like, I keep, you know, I put on my business person hat and I keep asking myself, what are the creative ways to market books? You know, I mean, uh, like I mentioned, the consumer has changed their, their habit. I think I, the feedback I get from a lot of readers is that we love holding print books in our hands. I know a lot of us who love to read, love, um, lo- love to like collect books and like have a big shelf at home, you know? And, uh, so I don't like, and, and I'm one of those people I love, I, I feel really good when I read a book. And then the first day the Amazon package shows up, I cut it down the middle and I take out my book and I see it. And I'm like, wow, it's real, you know? Yeah. Um, but that being said, yeah, but that being said, the, the consumer behaviors have changed. Like the, the Kindle numbers like shot up last year, at least on my books, the, the numbers I can see, I can see that people are doing the, the, um, the Kindle borrowing program more often than not, which means, you know, I can buy something on Kindle and then send it to a friend for seven days or something to their Kindle. And, uh, and I do know readers who just, who just love their Kindle, who they're like, that's their, their best friend. So I kind of started asking myself, you know, here's a whole subset of readers that, that don't necessarily need a bookstore. You know, here's a whole subset of readers who, who might not rely on, um, you know, social media for recommendations as much as they look right in the Kindle that has like a recommendation engine and, Instead of spending advertising dollars on social, maybe it's spending advertising dollars in Kindle. Like these are all new kind of questions I started asking myself when the pandemic started. Huh. Interesting. Well, it's about time for us to jump off to a commercial break. We could get back to this afterwards. Uh, but uh, your book, can you give that to our audience members again? Yeah, it's called Kevin on Earth, and it's by Press Maxson. That's me, and it's available, uh, I believe, anywhere books are sold digitally online, and you, of course, can get it in print as well, and the best place to do it is Amazon. Perfect, and you can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. 
It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guaranteed, it will be the best hour of your week. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here, back with Press Max. And uh, we've been talking about Kevin on Earth and his brand new book where he talks about 2020, uh, which was a pre-release for his next upcoming book, which is coming soon. Uh, one of the things that Press has mentioned was uh, the difficulty that it takes to really navigate for how the buyer's consuming ha- consumer habits have changed. And you said you've been seeing a lot of more uh, people hanging out on the Kindle and using those advertising tools and the recommendations on there. Have you been using those as well? Yeah, I kind of, yeah, th- that's a good question. I, I did kind of alter my strategy. I, I mean, so, so I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to turn this around on you in just a second, <laughs> but Everything, everything I do, whether it's like I, I altered my strategy to try and reach more digital readers, uh, and for the most part, very happy with that. Um, I, uh, I, I guess I, I had a, I hit a milestone um, just a couple of like maybe two months ago. I sold my five thousandth book, so I was really excited about that um, for an indie author. That's like a, a big deal, and. And I always look to celebrate kind of any win, <laughs> you know. Um, so that was that made me happy. Uh, but I think one thing that I kind of keep coming back to is is like I'm pretty measured. I I sit down and I write the book for me. Like my point, the point of writing is that I enjoy it and I and I really like to um, just imagine what my own favorite book would be. And then I try and write that. And then once that, like, I don't try and write it for anybody else. That's just what I'm thinking. Then I, I, once it's done, that's when I kind of put on my marketer hat and I say, okay, how do I find the right people who would enjoy this book? You know, and that's really the, my mission statement behind all my marketing efforts is just how do I, how do I find more readers who would enjoy this book? Essentially the question how do I grow my audience? And so lately, as I was, you know, looking at all the Kindle data and looking at my purchase data, combined that with feedback I got back from beta readers, from book clubs, which I kind of use as focus groups, um, I take that info and I put it all together and just try and find ways to grow my audience. So, uh, so to answer your question or your comment, like, yeah, I, I definitely adapt my strategy for for Kindle readers specifically this year 
Um, but I'm not abandoning print by any means. Um, I love it, and I sort of have, I feel like I have a connection with the readers who also love print, and I always want that print experience to be super good. I want the book to feel good in their hand. I want it to be the right size. I want the the words on the page to be digestible, but I want it to feel like you're not spending too much time on each page. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, but I'm getting kind of too in the weeds there. I think what... I would love to hear, and what I hope the audience would love to hear, is that with my main mission statement to find more readers who would like the book, to grow my audience, I mean, I'm talking to the Leonard Kim here of Influence Tree, like, what are your thoughts? How do I, how, how do, I do it? What are some practices that you know of? Well, some practices I know of would be one would be uh, finding opportunities such as this where you can go and share your material to a wider audience. Uh, a great thing to do is hop on the podcast, the radio show, interview with a publication, and kind of garner attention that way. Another thing would be to break into communities kind of as you have with like your book club and so forth to really go and start to share information. And it seems that you've been doing a lot of the things that uh, even touching upon a lot of the things that would really go out there and expand the book. Another thing is re reaching out to people with a personal message, uh, influential people, and then asking them if they'd like to receive a copy of your book and just see what happens with that. And it's kind of hard to really go out there and build out an audience of people who are influential, who may take uh, notice of uh, your book or anything, but by building out a personal brand and by going out there and making connections with people first, you have the opportunity to do so. Like for me, um, I've been able to get my book in front of a lot of uh, prestigious people some of them read it and said nothing. Some of it had read it and gave amazing feedback. But um, in the early phases of writing my book, I reached out to like hundreds and hundreds of influential people and got dozens of them to respond back with positive words, which um, kind of go back into the marketing material of the book because they're the uh, early reviews and they also go out there and share with their audiences and so forth. That's cool. I... Um I'm lucky. I have a PR agent and who works really closely with me. Um, and he's a friend of mine to, he works really closely with me to try and get, uh, you know, book clubs, book reviewers, that kind of stuff. But I don't know that we have ever really kind of tried to isolate a list of influential people, whether that's other published authors that we really respect, um, we always do a really targeted send on a press release uh, to people in our area, like like in geographically relevant areas, such as in my life, I've grown up in the Chicagoland area. I moved to, I, I went to college in Iowa, and I moved to Los Angeles, and then I moved here to Indiana. So that's really four geographical regions where I have personal contacts. So we always reach out to people in the press in those areas, but there, we never, I don't think we've ever looked at other influential personalities. Like we look, we've looked for a handful of book clubs, but probably not as many as we should have. Um, and yeah, I, that, that's a great idea that I don't think has, has something we've really acted on finding influential people even not in those geographical areas, you don't need to live somewhere to love a book. Um, and that is something that I don't think we've tapped into. So one thing I did is I took my Twitter followers because I have around like 550,000 of them. Um, I exported out the verified followers that I have uh, just because they have some kind of notoriety or some kind of fame of some sort. And I organized them different lists like business, celebrity, music, fashion, food, etc. And then after structuring out those lists, I kind of reached out to some of those people and asked them if they'd like an early copy of the book or if they'd like to receive it and so forth. Yeah, I feel like that is I, that, that would be valuable, especially in this day and age where you don't necessarily have to mail a print book to get someone to read it. 
I mean, you can mail a PDF. I think I was one of the lucky people who got an early PDF copy of Ditch the Act. <laughs> I loved it. Um, and, uh, and that really worked for me. And I told a bunch of people about it. I was proud to say, like, hey, I, you know, know this guy, this buddy of mine who wrote a book, you know. Um, so so I, that's ringing a bell with me, and I appreciate that. Um, can I ask you now? I mean, we're talking about books. We're talking about literature. Have you thought about maybe a second book? Um, I thought about it, but I have no idea what I want to write yet. But it's a thought that's been in my head. Nice. Do you have any thoughts? I would, on of, course. Do I have? <laughs> of course. Wait, wait, wait say, say that again. Do you have any thoughts on what I should be writing about? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think... I guess you yeah, I do. I guess I do have thoughts on what you should be writing about. Um, I think you should... My, my, my thing always to whoever I'm talking to is like, you should definitely write what you know and what you love. And, and I think I kind of said this um, a few minutes ago, but while I... The, the very first book I ever wrote was a, um, I'll give a little spiel about it. Like it was, it's a humor mystery book, uh, that essentially the main characters were my wife and me. Uh, it's written in the first person. I am the only thing that's different between me and the main characters. I don't think I'd ever allow myself to be in some of the situations that I put those characters in. And I realized my wife couldn't be the the real other female lead character because I needed that character in the book to be much more of a risk taker than my wife is in real life. You know, yeah. I needed my wife is, is a very even keeled, practical, lovely person. I needed the main character of the book to be a very lovely person who was also willing to take some crazy risks and kind of like a little bit of a free spirit, you know, or a lot yeah. of a free spirit. Um, but I essentially, she and I, Molly and I went on vacation. This is almost 10, uh, it is 10 years ago now. We went on vacation and uh, something happened on that vacation. Nothing like dramatic, but um, it was basically kind of like a sliding doors situation where nothing happened bad, but I thought, wow, what if, that one time we'd taken a right turn instead of a left turn, or we'd gone through that door instead of walked past that door. And I kind of just invented the craziest, most fun set of circumstances I could dream up on the, what if this had happened premise, you know? And so, so the, so this is the answer to your question. I just did that because I was having fun. Like I sat down and I said, boy, I really wish, like I read a mystery. I love mysteries because I love trying to solve them as you read them. But I also like humor, and I, and I don't like a mystery that takes itself too seriously. And uh, so that's what I just sat down to write. So when you ask, do you have any feelings on what, I'd, you know, on what you should write, I think you could ask yourself, well, what books do I like to read? And I could just start you know, writing something that I might love to read. And in your case, it might be fiction. In your case, it might also be that leadership book that the world, you know, doesn't even know it needs yet. I mean, you do have a knack for, uh, you know, building a following of people, for growing your audience. And I know that Ditch the Act talks about a lot of those principles and how to do it through being an authentic self and everything. And that's what makes that book so interesting and so great. But... um Something tells me, Leonard, if you sat down and just started writing, I, you might surprise yourself with what came out. And I, I guarantee, as you know, whenever you do that, it's not all perfect the first time. But it doesn't have to be. That's part of the process, you know? Yeah, that's true. So basically, it's just about getting back into the groove of things and just writing things out and just seeing where things go and then calling it a book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you'll be surprised that if you that if you made a um, made an effort to just kind of like sit down and be like and kind of like be practicing the art of of writing regularly, I think you'd probably be pleasantly surprised with what popped out, you know, just what comes out of your brain. Um, 
And I think this is this has happened to me a lot recently where I just think uh, I'm fresh out of inspiration. I have no idea what I'm going to write about, but I'm just going to start writing things. And, you know, if I throw it out tomorrow, that's fine. But, like, hopefully I'll discover something along the line. And the more I do that, uh, the more I surprise myself, I'll come back to it the next day and I'll think, okay, I'm going to delete everything from yesterday. But as I'm going through there, it could be something as small as just like a turn of phrase or the way I worded something. It could be something as big as an idea that I just kind of thought off the cuff yesterday. But then today I was like, whoa, 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 that is, that is it. You know, that's what I could write an entire three pages about or something, you know. And then other times there's like an entire paragraph that I thought I would throw away. And I look back at it and I think, wow, that was actually fine. You know, I mean, my second book, Pigeon, I remember uh, I wrote the majority of one chapter. I wrote it while I was in a bar and I was waiting to meet with some friends. I was just sitting there typing away and I was having a couple Guinnesses while I was waiting and I started to feel a little tipsy, like my ears started to get warm <laughs> and, and I started to get the feeling that I was probably just throwing words out, you know, like that. I'm not, I don't think it's productive for me to, to be drunk and, and write. I just, I'm not very good at it and I don't, I almost never do it. So in this case, I was, I just thought like, uh, you know, I'll try to, to finish this like little bit. Even though I wasn't really drunk, I just feel it coming on. But I kept saying to myself, I'll just edit it all tomorrow. Like, there's no way this is going to stay. And I came back the next day, and I was really pleasantly surprised <laughs> that most of it was keepable. Uh, like, and, like, th- there was a good amount that, that I did not have to throw out. Oh, nice. Um, so that, that felt pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I bet it did. And that sounds like a pretty cool method that uh, you were able to get that out, especially while you were just waiting for friends at the bar. Um, it's about time for us. Well, to yeah, I, I had a couple hours. So. Oh, really? A couple hours? <laughs> That's a pretty long time yeah. to wait. Well, it was one of those days after work where I got off work at 5. takes me almost an hour to get home, and I was going to meet them at 7. So it was like, well, I could go home, but then I'd just drive right back. So that didn't feel productive. So I just thought, well, I'll go and I'll work for a little while in a bar, uh, like right by where I was going to meet them. That's what, that was that specific time. I don't do that regularly. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, it's about time for us to hop off to another commercial break. Uh, where can people find you online? Yeah. Look for me as press Maxon on Twitter. That's P R E S M A X S O N. I'm on Instagram as well. Cool, and you can find me at Mr. Lionel Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel 
Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel with a replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Larry Kim here with Press Max, and we've been talking a lot about um, building audiences and growing a following with a book and so forth. Uh, now what I wanted to talk about is uh, pitching a product. Um, Press, how would you go about pitching a product? And uh, I guess we could put this into book terms or into regular terms. Yeah, I, uh, I, that I've been, this has been on my mind a lot lately because, well, I, I feel like I'm constantly pitching books, uh, not just my new ones, but the old ones as well. You know, you're always, you're always looking for um, try, trying to get somebody to read it, whether it's a book club or whether you're at an author fair and there's just one person standing at the table in front of you, um, and, you know, you're trying to get them interested. Uh, and I'd love your take on this as well because you have experience. I mean, you have a book published you had to sell it, and I think you and I have talked about this before. If the like the first people you pitched it to, it wasn't like it was a home run on the first try, right? Like you had to, you know, you had to sell it. You know, you got rejected once or something, right, or a few times. So for me, what it was like is at first publishing houses like Wiley and. Um, and um, Penguin Random House, they reached out to me, uh, Portfolio to be specific, reached out to me asking me if I was writing a book, and that implanted the idea of writing one, and a few agents reached out to me as well. Uh, When I put it together, a proposal and everything, uh, no one wanted to buy that book that I uh, first put together so I had to go back to the drawing board and reformulate it uh, got some help from an outside consultant and came up with a new idea then went back to pitch it again very cool yeah so I don't know about you but I feel like I feel like if there was one formula that worked every time everybody would use it so I can't you know, I, I can't say, and everyone would be successful. So I can't say that that there's necessarily one way to to pitch the idea, pitch the book, pitch the product. But I do think, and and I have a feeling you're going to agree agree with me here. There are there are things you can do to make your pitch universally better. You know, uh, I, I would say. So right now, I'm in the middle of trying to sell my fourth book, and I've independently published my others. Um, but I really feel like I need, I need the help of a publisher who has a little bit more reach with distribution. I love Amazon. They have treated me very well. Um, but I need more promotional help that's not coming out of my pocket. You know, I need more contacts with bookstores, more contacts with editors, you know, things that just other, other, you know, hands out into the world. Um, so I have a literary agent who's super awesome and he is extremely supportive and he is really the one who knows how to like pitch a book. But when I find myself doing it, uh, I, something you said earlier in this chat, you know, finding a way to try and create a personal connection with the person you're pitching to, it sounds hard and it is hard. Um, and what you don't want to do I think is sound overly 
solicitous and make it sound like you're trying to force a personal connection with them. But what I've learned from author fairs, what I've learned from being in person and selling the book in person is I always do so much better in person because when you're standing in front of somebody and you're just chit-chatting and you're telling them what the book is about and they're telling you about why they love reading, whether you're trying to or not, you're creating a connection with each other that is really hard to recreate just in emails or digital interactions, you know? So that kind of proves, I feel like, the theory of, not the theory, but it proves the concept of personalization in marketing. And I feel like that has happened to me time and time again to remind me how important that is. I think being short with your pitch is important. Like finding the, like the value in the book, why you think your book is special, and conveying that in like two or three sentences tops before then kind of putting the ball back in the court of the other person and either asking them a question or getting them to input uh, something about why they care or maybe who's the book for or what other things do you like to read, like facilitating a conversation so it's not just you, you know, just pitching, pitching, pitching. Uh, It's, like it turns into a little bit more of a conversation. I think those are my big two things, trying to keep it like keep the value of the book like short and, and creating a personal connection that turns it from a, just a sales pitch into a conversation about reading. I think that's my two things. I find those to be helpful tips, especially the part about keeping it short because a lot of people go out there and they start talking away and then they kind of go off and talk and kind of lose the audience member or the person that they're talking to because they're going way over with the information when they should be intriguing someone and like putting out little fillers and having the other person ask questions to kind of extract more data out of you. You know what that is relatable to? I mean, that is, there's a lesson just in writing right there. I mean, I was talking with my brother-in-law about this when I was writing my first book. There was a scene set in a bar. And it was supposed to be sort of a divey little bar uh, with, you know, hardwood countertops that maybe need, a, maybe need some varnish because they're so well used and uh, lots of dark woods kind of dark lights, you could probably spend three pages in your book saying all that, describing everything down to every little splinter in that little dive bar. Or you can find maybe three or four sentences that, have, that are very detailed, but remind the reader of bars they have been in. And the reader's mind will automatically fill in all the colors of that picture. You don't need to do it in two or three pages of description. The, if you use the right couple words, the right couple phrases, their brain will, will blossom that seed you planted without you doing too much work. And I feel like the same is for a sales pitch. If you give the right few benefits, if you pitch your elevator pitch for your book in just the right way, like the, that's all you need to say the, the reader's brain, and the, in our case, the customer's brain, will kind of fill in the gaps, and you don't have to talk forever about why they need it. They'll know why they need it. They'll believe that they need that book. They believe it'll be their next read. And that's my theory and kind of my approach to my sales pitch. Yeah, well I, I read a book recently called The um, Psychology of Money, and they kind of do the exact opposite of that, where they take a simple concept and they overcomplicate it by adding more and more and more and more and more details. And it kind of pushes readers away and like makes them kind of distant from the message instead of kind of drawing it closer, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. And and what's interesting about it is everybody reads differently. So I'm I mean, I know I know there are some people that love those details. I mean, I think back to old classics like uh the, you know, nineteenth uh, century French um author Victor Hugo who wrote Les Miserables and Hunchback of Notre Dame. 
he, uh, I mean, if you read either of those books, I mean, it is page upon page upon page of, of what I would describe as like mind numbing detail. It's just like, it's almost too much, you know? Um, but a lot of people like that, but we do have data and we do have testing that suggests less is more. And I, and I tend to have more fun writing that way and finding those like small, rich things. Here's the last thing I'll say about it. When I first wrote my first book, I, uh, the very first couple pages had a pretty lengthy description of this couple waking up in their hotel room. And I said, uh, oh, they did this. And then one of them got in the shower and the other did this and the other did that. And I was really trying to step a scene. I was trying to put the reader in that hotel room with them while they were waking up, while they were trying to get ready for the day. And uh, I gave it to one of my friends to read. And he came back and he said, he said, you don't have to do that. He said, like, imagine you're taking a, like, a magnifying glass. And if you say it was a hotel room where I'm making this up, this is not part of the book, but if you say, and inside that hotel room was a Bible in the nightstand and every page had a crinkled corner on that Bible, like that's a tiny detail. Like you took a magnifying glass to that hotel room and you found something really physically small, the, what the corners of the pages of the Bible looked like. But in like literary terms, that detail tells you something about the entire room. And so he said, when you're talking about this couple waking up, like you don't need to say that, you know, you don't need to trace their every move. All you have to say is maybe when the guy was buttoning up his shirt, he missed a button and he put two different socks on accidentally. And when the woman got out of the shower uh, there wasn't a towel there, so she had to, like, scramble around. These are all, like, tiny details that give you a feel for what's going on. It gives you a feel for how the character's feeling. gives you a feel for what the room looks like, for how the room feels. But you're not spending pages doing it. And I thought that was great advice. Uh, I mean, it's been great advice for me in writing. But like I said, it's great advice in your sales pitch. You don't have to talk forever. Just give those, like, give those important details that are going to matter to the customer. And that's that's yeah. what I bring to it. Yeah, I think that's definitely great advice. And I wanted to thank you for hopping on the show and sharing your insights with us, Press. Uh, where can people find you in your book again? Yep, look for me on Amazon. My books are called Kevin on Earth. My second book was called Pigeon. And my first book was called Bender at the Bomb Parisian. You can find me by searching my name, Press Maxson. Of course, I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at Press Max and all one word, P-R-E-S-M-A-X-S-O-N. Thanks for having me, Leonard. Oh, anytime. And for everyone tuning in, thank you for joining us for another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.